agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government has the government love. The government has the government love. The government Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay. So I am really happy that you were able to make time for this. We're doing a, this is a very special episode of the politics guys which makes me think back to those shows from our youth when you know it was like the exactly. family would confront uh billy about his drinking problem or something like that whatever but uh in this very special episode uh we are going to be focusing exclusively on questions and comments that you've had for us because uh, it seems like uh, on a regular basis i say to folks on the discord group and other places hey let's have your questions we're really we're, we're this week for sure we're going to get to listener questions and comments and we completely ignore them. you know and people are starting to feel like hey what's the deal here so i thought it would be good to do an episode for just that and jay uh happily agreed and had some time so that is what we will be doing. Uh, but before we get to that, just really quickly, I wanted to first thank uh, all of the people who have signed up for our Politics Guys Insiders tier to become part of that new thing we're going to be doing later on this month. And that's where we have a special segment of the midweek show where you guys choose the topic we talk about. And also for folks at our insider and above level, it's $10 a month and above on Patreon, you get an invitation to the conversation and you can, you know, uh, uh, include your comments in real time and we will see them and respond to them. And, and uh, I think it should be a, a really interesting experience and I'm looking forward to it. It looks like there's uh, some, some good interest among uh, listeners. And so, so yeah, we uh, hope to roll out the first poll on a topic you want us to discuss uh, in maybe a week or so, and then we will, we will get to it. So speaking of getting to it, we will get to our first question in just one second. All right, Jay. So are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Bring it, bring it on. Jay, here said. we go. Bring it on. That's right. All right. Here we go. Our first question comes from Dark Claw uh, from the Discord group who asks, what amount of gun deaths in a given year is acceptable as a trade-off for the right to bear arms? And uh, so, Jay, I, I, I know uh, Dark Claw has been very active on the Discord and has, uh, I think, understandably a, a real problem with all of the gun deaths in this country. And, you know, in the past on the show, I've suggested that uh, if people are being intellectually honest, gun, gun rights advocates, they would say that there is, a, in fact, a trade-off and that this is the price you pay for, quote-unquote, freedom, at least this particular freedom. So I think it's a perfectly legitimate question, and uh, I'll let you start off with an answer. So I, I one I I think I I will agree generally that that um, any freedom uh, comes with some some measure of of a trade off. Now, where I might disagree is the direct linkage between um, when we say Second Amendment and, and gun rights to um, uh, mass shootings and, and killings and so forth. That um, so, for example, the idea that those killings would not have taken place uh, had the guns been illegal. Um, it's sort of the, that's been sort of a, you know, perennial argument that gun rights folks have made for decades and decades and decades is that if you outlaw guns, the only people who have guns will be outlaws. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to that. Uh, I don't think that's, that's everything, right? Because I, I do believe there's a uh, ubiquity uh, that, that, that changes things. But I think there's, there's also something you can look at and say, listen, we didn't have this problem um, 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Uh, and, and I don't know that it's, it's the increase in, in guns and, and you can trace um, uh, also, I guess the, the next piece where I would, would break down the, the analogy is um, when we're talking about gun deaths, are we talking about the mass shooting type uh, uh uh, incidents? Uh, are we talking about uh, 
crime, gang-related, uh, drug gang type type deaths? Uh, are we talking about suicides? Because I think those are three separate categories. They all involve death and they all involve guns, but they're they're different problems. And I think you'd look through to different solutions for them. Um, and I think each of those problems is. Uh, if, if your, your goal or, or if your approach to the problem is, you know, banning guns or banning magazines or, or, or something like that, um, that approach is going to have different levels of effectiveness, um, to each of those three problems, if you follow me. Um, so I, I guess that's, that's sort of when, when, you know, you get the question of, well, um, is there a number? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's a, number that we reach this it's it's sort of like to me asking of uh listen is there a number of how many people will die of heart disease before the federal government bans trans fats right um because you can say look uh, trans fats certainly go into heart disease they're certainly a factor but they're not the only factor and uh heart disease uh, arises from a bunch of, of other issues and there might be other interventions um that also might be uh, appropriate and and useful. So I guess that my I guess my answer is I, I don't know that there's a number. I don't. Okay, I don't think let me ask you this: a matter of numbers, but but I, I do want to say then there's another piece of it that it's it's perhaps less number and more facts of the of the case and shockingness of the case. Right? Um, I think there's there is more um, outrage, and I think rightfully so. Um, when when it's uh something like a sandy hook right of of uh, a crazed person killing children um versus uh rival drug gangs uh, killing one another now there's certainly the argument that a lot of those those drug gang type things and drag by drive by shooting there's there are other innocent bystanders who get get hit um uh and that that still lives are lost and so forth but but that's what I'm saying. I think there's 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 different reactions um, that that are emotional reactions that I think can drive the appetite uh, for for uh, various types of gunk. Well, there's a lot there, Jay. Uh, there I, is. And I want to I, I want to take issue with almost all of it. And uh, but, oh, no. but but first, yeah, because because I think I, I wouldn't say you're wrong, but I think you're. Uh, I don't even think you're being disingenuous, but but I think you're approaching it in, in a way that, well, I'm going to approach it in a different way. But before I do that, right. I, I want to say that I, I'm pretty sure that in your last comment about reactions to it, you're not making sort of an argument. Like there was a scene, famous scene in The Godfather when the fa heads of the families get together and they talk about the drug trade and the one family head says – Ah, uh, let uh, let them let them deal the drugs in those neighborhoods. They're animals. Let them kill each other anyway. It doesn't matter. You're not suggesting that gang members who shoot each other that that's fine because they're somehow lesser in any way, right? I just want to because no, people no, no, are going no. to hear that. Yeah, what, no, what, what I'm saying is, if you're looking for, if the question is what what needs to happen to summon the political will for gun control, um. I, I think the the incidents, the, your your Sandy Hook type incidents, your school shootings, your mass shootings at, at a mall, uh, uh, will will tend to galvanize that political will, whereas other crime doesn't. Yeah, I, I I think you're wrong about that. Just because I mean, in in Las Vegas, I mean, in that shooting, I think. 60 people were killed and over 400 were wounded and we didn't see anything through that. So I'm going to actually answer dark. No, 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 no. Well, well, no, but don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying the, the question is, as I understood it, well, is there a number? And I'm saying, no, I, I don't think it's, it's a number. So I think you're wrong. That, that, I, the, I think these other factors that play in, but go ahead. Let, let's say for instance, that uh, next year, or that in 2013, or 20, sorry, 2023, something bizarre happens, and one million Americans are killed uh, by by guns. That's totally, just way, just inconceivable, right? But I believe that there is no possible way that if one million Americans are killed through gun violence, that the number, the last year we have good numbers for us, 2021, the number was 48,000. If that number jumps to 1 million, 
I think that is a number. That is a number where if 1 million Americans are killed because of guns in a single year, we would see significant gun control legislation that would pass with decent bipartisan majorities. Now, that's I mean, that's not going to happen. Right. But my point is, is that there is a number. I mean, you would agree that, say, if 20 million Americans were killed by guns, we would do something about guns. Um, yes and no. No. I mean, so you're I, saying, I you're, there's, are, there's are that, you saying, okay, how about this? How about if half, how about if, if 200 million Americans were killed next year through gun violence? Yeah. Two, more, more than, more than half of the country dead because of guns. You're saying that we wouldn't do anything about it. No, I think we would do something about it. The okay. Is, so there is a number. That's no, my no, point. Let's answer the no, question. No, no, no. I think, wait, hold on a second. I, I think with the, 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 the part where we're disagreeing is the killed by guns. There's, there's always this, this thing of people who are killed by gun violence. No, let, let's stop the, there. The response I, no. is, no, they're not killed by gun violence. They're killed by someone else who, who, you know, or by themselves. Well, let's not, let's right? not try to be too clever about taking apart this question. Let's, uh, let's answer, no, I'm not, I'm let's answer the question that's asked, and that's gun deaths. We're going to define right. gun deaths. Let's be textualist about this, Jay. Gun deaths, anyone who is killed because of a round that is fired from a firearm that ends their right. life. Okay. Right. Let's be. Let's not separate out suicides and gang violence and mass shootings. We're just saying. Let, let's answer Dark Claw's question. How many people okay. would have to be killed because of bullets entering their bodies and ending their lives in a single year in the United States? What would that number be? Do we think, at a minimum, that would galvanize enough Americans to either? get Congress to pass meaningful gun control legislation that would really make a difference or even more to get them to amend the Constitution in such a way that would allow for significant restrictions of on guns that under current Supreme Court interpretations uh, are not allowable. And, and I would say that that is a that would certainly be a huge number and it would be way more than you know, what we have now. And when I was thinking about this, and again, a million, yeah, I think at a minimum, I think you can make a case that let's say on average, every single day, a uh, hundred people died from gun violence. And so that would be roughly what, 340, 355, what, 355,000 gun deaths. I think if we had that number of gun deaths, uh, then, yeah, we would see some significant action. But I don't know I could make a case for any lower than that. And that would be that would be horrific. Right. And that would be so, so much more than we have. Yeah. So I guess while I can answer uh, Dark Claw's question, I think that the number would have to be so great that as a matter of, of policy, as a matter of living in the real world, we would I don't think we'll ever get to that number, right? At least, uh, that, so that's kind of my take on it. What do you think? I, no, I think you're, you're probably right. And the point I was trying to make is I think there is still, no matter what the number is, there would be a substantial group of, of, of people in the country who would say the appropriate intervention is not repealing the Second Amendment. Um, but, for example, if, if, you, if you said, look, we've got um, a million suicides by by guns um, in a year. I think the the response could be, and I think it would be an appropriate response, would be, "Yikes, we've got to do something about mental health uh, intervention and suicide." Right. Which, admittedly, is likewise, a likewise, if if there's a million and it's it seems to be, you know, there were there was a, a big bump in in gun deaths, gun violence in the the early '90s because of crack. Um. And the government, you know, said, yeah, this is it's in the guns. The guns are certainly part of the problem. We're not the only part of the problem. And when the, the crack problem subsided, uh, so did the gun deaths. So yes that's, no. that's but, sort of but, what, what but, I'm saying is there are other other interventions that I think people would. That's what I'm saying. And I don't think and there's a number that gets it because people would. So but, but, but I think a lot of people for a lot of people, I know a lot of people on the left would say, well, yeah, but that's kind of like saying, well, let, let's say in, in a country that. There's a policy that allows eight-year-olds to go and buy 
uh, Bowie knives or what have you, you know, whatever, some kind of archery right. okay. and, and saying all of a sudden there's this, there's this, or, or six year olds. And there's this massive number of kids who are maiming and hurting themselves through having these, you know, these, these sharp weapons. Now, of course you could say, well, we really need to train these kids better about knife safety, but you know, I mean, a more, uh, a more logical approach. A lot of people say, well, wait a second. Do these kids really need to have Bowie knives? How about if we just take the knives away from the kids? Uh, and right. that I think, you know, and so uh, a lot of folks on the left, myself included, would say, well, look at almost any other country in the world. And uh, they have a far fewer uh, of these of these suicides. They have far, you know, far fewer of these problems. And the reason why is because they have far fewer guns. And, and this idea that we can somehow deal with the mental health problem, I mean, that is so much more huge, that's so much more difficult to get at, that because that is such a multi-factor sort right. of thing. Right, No, no, no. I, I, think you're, I, think you're not, I think you're still not hearing what I'm saying. Okay, well, let's, let, let me I'm try not, again. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that if, if the question is, is there a magic number? I'm saying no, because gotcha. there will always be the arguments out there. And you can say the arguments are ineffective. You can say, no, 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 that doesn't work. Banning guns works better. Fair enough. But I'm saying I don't think you get to a number because of. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you on that. You know, I think the other part of this that you pointed out that that's worth discussing is, and, and I think you're right, is that making guns illegal or having restrictions isn't necessarily going to do a whole lot given how inundated right. the United States. Yeah. And so what we would need to do is something like what Australia did in the 90s is they had a, a massive gun buyback program. And according to a lot of analyses, that actually was very effective in considerably, significantly lowering the rate of both gun suicides and homicides. But that's because guns were actually taken out of, you know, we it actually reduced the number of guns. And so given what gun ownership looks like in the United States, the scale of that sort of program would have to be so massive that I just can't imagine anything like that happen. So I guess bottom line, Jay, is that, is that let, let me no let me jump on before you before you hit the bottom yeah. line. Yeah. I just want to jump on no, one please thing, do, yeah. I think it's something Significant. Um, that this goes again to why I think it's, it's difficult to say there's a number. If you're talking about the uh, an Australian gun buyback or any type of um, voluntary gun buyback, that assumes a, a change in culture. Yeah, that's a good right? point. Sure. The people are saying, I don't want to have this gun anymore. I'd rather have the cash or whatever you're offering me to, to buy it back. Um and and I think the idea is is if you get people to that place first, um, well then the second the second piece is easier, right? It's it's not it's still it's it's um if you have uh, a culture that says I I don't want a gun I don't need a gun then yes you're going to have fewer guns but if you have a culture that still very much values it um, you can offer all the buybacks you want in the world. Um, you know, you'll, you'll, but you'll, you know, we have to prime from the cold dead hands, as they say. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think it would be uh, all that effective. And so I guess that leads me to my bottom line is that I do not think that there is any conceivable, uh, realistic amount of gun violence that would lead to any sort of significant wide scale, you know, nationwide change in, in our gun laws. That That's kind of my takeaway. And so, of course, for people on the left who just hate to see what's going on with that, that is horrible and tragic, but I also think it's the political reality. And so that that's where I kind of end up on that. Right. Yeah. Isn't that what I said in the first place? Well, yeah. That's why we kind of kind of circled back to that, right? But yeah, absolutely. So basically we are- and this is, And this is, let me, I want to throw something else out there because it's just something I read this morning, um, but it, it's apropos of this. Um, Holman Jenkins in the Wall Street Journal. And Holman Jenkins is sort of the left-leaning, um, uh, more left-leaning uh, people on their, their op-ed pages. Um, he made a, a really interesting case on this, this sort of changing gun culture that there are- there are people who are gun owners and then there are gun nuts. And 
and I can testify from, from my experience in, in working with a lot of people who are pro-gun. There are many of them. I would say, let's put this with all the people that I've ever dealt with. Um, are, are very much into um, the whole culture of gun safety, even right. There's a whole heritage tradition of this is how you do it. This is and and it's you know I, I find it kind of fascinating, and that's why it it, it is so. When you approach these people and say we don't think you should have guns or we don't think people should have guns, they're shocked and alarmed. And well, why? Why not? Because I this is something I very much believe in. This is how we handle it. This is when you use it. This is all these things. Um, and but there are also people who are just plain gun nuts, where that that has been that responsibility piece has been severed from it. Um, and uh, he points to you know online uh, uh, you know forums that. That uh, some of these mass shooters have engaged in, um, where it's you know mocking other mass shootings and and so forth, and just this this sort of weird desire to to you know get artillery for 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 no particular purpose, um, and and he said, well, maybe the answer is to start um, holding up as positive examples uh, responsible gun ownership, um, and I think that's I think that's an interesting take that that no one's taken again something we always say all the time and other people have said it before us is that politics is downstream from culture and maybe that's you know the issue like i said it's it's different that we didn't have these these types of, of mass and it's not going to say not not to say we didn't have any um but there were certainly far fewer uh of these type mass shootings that we see now routinely than there were in say the 1970s um and and what's changed is is maybe some of that culture, and maybe we you know you take a shot at changing that culture, um, and then you get to more of a place of, you know, there are going to be some people who who will say no, I I guess I don't need this gun, or it was, you know, willed to me, or I got it from my father or grandfather, but I don't want it around the house, and they will go through through a gun buyback, um, uh, but I think that's I think that's that's an approach that I think may have some merit to it. Well, I, I I think in theory it does, but the idea that we can somehow change the culture uh, through positive, I, I I it's weird that you're gonna you, you're the more optimistic. Well, I mean, let's put it we I mean, we change the culture on smoking, but that's different because because no, I, I disagree because guns are a symptom. This gun nut, this gun nut sort of thing, as you call it, I think it's a symptom. It's a symptom of a of of a cultural decline of of a cultural toxicity uh, of of this this horrible angry partisanship that that just holding up examples of good ownership gun good gun ownership is not going to do anything to address that if you have somebody who's convinced that Joe Biden is a horrible, evil pedophile who stole an election and your country is being stolen from you, saying like, hey, be a responsible gun owner, that's that that doesn't touch that. So that's why I think that No, 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 you agree. You're you're not gonna get those people, but you might get a lot of the in-betweeners. If you have someone who is who is going to, to buy a gun and at some point they have a, a choice of of which side of this I mean everything, everything has a culture, right? Um, every, every activity, every hobby, you know, fly fishermen, boaters, you know what I mean? There's, and once you kind of become, um, acclimated, you sort of decide which, you know, where, where you want to align yourself with, with that culture. And if the idea is, this is how is the appropriate thing to do, right? Um, you're not going to get everybody, but I, I think you will, you will get more people. Uh, yeah, sure. I, yeah, I think at least and, at and that, that will sure. cut down. And because look, if we're talking about massive gun deaths, um, obviously all of them that we just talked about aren't the the crazy mass shooter uh, with some political manifesto, suicides like and small some of them scale. Are just the yeah. suicides, or yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one other point I'd make is you mentioned that we didn't have this back in the seventies, but remember what we did have in the seventies? Another extraordinarily polarized time was. A massive number of not necessarily mass shootings, but bombings uh, to give folks a sense of this. And I think this is a lot of people don't realize this uh, in a in one single 18 month period uh, during 1971 and 1972. According to the FBI, there were around twenty five hundred bombings on American soil. And that's, you know, almost 
five bombings a day. I, it was it was a it was a crazy, horrific time, and that's where we saw more of the political violence in that. And so maybe that actually does go to your argument because as that sort of culture war diminished for a whole bunch of reasons. We don't have the time to get into. We, of course, we don't see that many bombings. And so maybe maybe that is. You're not suggesting we bring back bombings. No, no, I'm certainly not (laughs) suggesting that we we bring back bombings. But that is is an amazing stat, certainly. Yeah, the the bad news is Mike's coming for your guns. Uh, Good news is he's he's open to more bombings. There you go. um... (laughs) All right. Well, let's let's move on to uh, – well, you know, actually, before we do move on, there was another question. I don't think we can really get into it here, but I wanted to mention it because I think it would be interesting, Jay, for a longer segment, and that's related to this. And that's uh, uh, Urgicles asked, what types of state and local gun control measures do we think will actually stand up to scrutiny under the new standard that the Supreme Court recently created? And, of course, that standard, we've talked about that before. That's this idea that uh, the only gun, the only gun bans or gun restrictions that are okay, according to the court, are those that both accord with the text of the Second Amendment and the historical tradition of gun regulation. And now, again, I think this would make a great segment, but I just wanted to address it at least briefly here because my take on this, based on some of the decisions we've seen already, is that standard isn't so much of a standard because you can read historical tradition to mean a lot of things. For instance, there was a case in, I believe, West Virginia, where a a federal judge struck down a so-called ghost gun ban because the argument was, well, back in the day, there was no historical tradition of requiring guns to have serial numbers. Okay. But you can similarly make a case of, well, we can ban automatic weapons because back in the day there were no automatic weapons, so therefore there is no history. So I guess what I'm saying is that the interject it injects an awful lot of subjectivity, and there's this kind of growing market now for these historical experts on the gun laws of you know the uh, colonial America, essentially. Or you could argue that it was the gun laws at the time the Fourteenth Amendment was passed and incorporated the Second Amendment, what have you. But I guess my point being is that. This really isn't that much of a guideline, and it still allows judges to kind of pour in whatever interpretations they want because the historical tradition is such a fuzzy thing. And my take is, given what we've seen from the Supreme Court, they're going to interpret that historical tradition in a way that is very, uh, either depending on how you look at it, very hostile to gun restrictions or very friendly to Second Amendment freedom. So that's kind of my quick argument. But again, I think it'd be kind of neat to bring in cases and make a, a, a longer piece of that. But I wanted to get your take on that before we moved on. Yeah, I, I would say to some extent, it's a little too early to tell, right? Because we're we're fairly close on the heels of Bruin. And these these other cases are working their way up through the appellate courts. Um, I I do think that the interpretation uh, that that some have, have urged saying, well, look, if it uh, if it wasn't illegal in, in uh, 1790, uh, it's not illegal now. Um, uh, you know, if there wasn't a regulation, if there wasn't a regulation on the books, um, uh, you know, then 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 you can't regulate it now. And, and I, I don't think that's the correct view. And I don't I don't think that's even what Ruin is saying. Um, so I think it's going to get fleshed out as, as these cases go through the appeals courts, and then uh, some of them are going to get up to the Supreme Court. Um, and I think there'll be a, a dialing back. Because if, if you consider, I mean, Bruin was was pretty much a, um, you can have your gun, um, but you're never allowed to take it anywhere or use it uh, or carry it. Or, you know, you can, like a you really can have a, nice you have, a right, you have yeah. a right to bear arms as long as it's safely locked up in your home at all times. And, and I think the court rightly said, well, that's not really a right. Um and and in doing so, promulgated this this new test that, you know, if you apply that test, really, but but I think there are there 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 will be other cases where we'll say, look, come on, um, this is not to say, and that would be be uh, you you could harmonize sort of the old Second Amendment um, uh, cases, which of which there weren't a ton, right, um, uh, with with the the newer test. So I think that's I think that's coming. Yeah, and see, um, I, I I don't yeah. think we're going to end up with a a you know if it was unless it was specifically banned in 1790, 
um, you're good to go. Yeah, I, I hope not. I mean, I liked sort of what I felt to be sort of the old de facto test was like with a First Amendment and, and, and some other uh, Bill of Rights type of uh, protections is that there was there was kind of a balancing test, right? And you could balance the public safety against that sort of thing. And, and that seemed to me to be more than sufficient, but the court obviously disagreed with me in its wisdom. I was not consulted about this. And so, but I, but I agree with you that we haven't, uh, nothing has bubbled up to the Supreme Court level for us to know for sure. But, but I think you would probably agree with me that given the justices we currently have on the court, they're likely in many cases to err on the side of being pro second amendment and anti gun restriction. Other things. Probably. Being- I think they'll be, I think they'll be skeptical of regulations, but again, I, I think if, if you, you have to consider what those regulations are, because uh, again, Bruin was, was a, such a case that it was completely regulated away the right altogether. Yeah. yeah that was an extreme. Uh, and I think there may be others like the serial number type type thing um, that, that I, I could make a good argument of, of why, uh, uh, would not have approved of, uh, or, or would have approved of, of something like that. Um, and I'm sure there's other capable people who will be able to do that. So, All right. Well, let's move on to something very different. Uh, after, uh, what was, I think, a pretty good discussion a little while ago about party loyalty on our Discord group and uh, how much we feel, various folks felt that the, our party is still our party, right? Um, uh, one, of, one of the folks, Daniel over there, uh, framed the, the following question, Jay, for both of us. Uh, number one, what would it take, kind of two parts, first part, what would it take to make you abandon your party and vote for a third party candidate for president? And related to that, number two, what would it take for you to vote for the opposite party's candidate for president? So, uh, you took you you started us off on on the the first question the guns question so I think it's only fair that I start us off on this one and you know I think it's interesting because the what the two questions are combined or should be combined because of course because of our electoral system the way it works out um, voting for a third party candidate for president is. Uh, not not exactly the same chance amount to voting for the other. other exactly. Party. You know, when I talk about it in class, I say uh, because of because of how we have elections, you know, a first past the post, a winner take all sort of thing. Then then basically you have this sort of electing your worst nightmare sort of scenario when you vote for your favorite candidate. So, yeah. Um, so I really think that for me, it would be well, I suppose I could see myself sitting out a presidential vote, perhaps, even though I know that it would mean that it would help out perhaps my less favored candidate. And I think that's that's sort of the problem, right, is that, and I know you struggled with this, because when you say, well, okay, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, I think, is a, a delusional guy. He has mental health issues. He's He is perhaps to some level a, a threat to democratic rule. He said some very anti-democratic things, but Donald Trump is not in a vacuum. Donald Trump is one of two, maybe not so palatable choices. And then you have to ask, what is the complete package? What are, what are my options basically? And so I guess my answer to the question is, in theory, it would have to be a democratic candidate, because of course I am, you know, I'm a, a, I don't have a card, right? But I don't know if they still have cards, but if there were cards, I would be a card carrying Democrat, I suppose. Um, like the communist stuff. You know, there you go. So, <laughs> but, but I think it would require a Democratic candidate who was so far left and who I felt was so temperamentally unsuited for the job. Uh, and then on the other side of things, a Republican who I felt was fairly moderate and, you know, pretty centrist. Like, for instance, I guess, and people want a real world example. So um, let's say, and I'm not sure how old she is right now, but let's say uh, AOC ran for president. I think- Pastor Prime. No, not Pastor Prime. No, no. no. I think she's not, I think she's- (laughs) Don Lamont, She she might be too young. Yeah, she might be too young uh, in 2024, but I know she, I believe she'd be eligible in 2028. Let's say that- she ran against, say, someone like Joe Manchin, decided he was going to become a Republican. There's been some talk of that, right? 
Well, then I could see myself maybe voting for Manchin or at least sitting out the election. Saying like, yeah, you know, I'm Manchin presidency. I am okay with that sort of thing. So that that I think it would have to be the uh, the break point for me. It would have to be just someone who both in terms of policy and temperament, I just felt to be so outside of the mainstream and what I'm comfortable with and someone from the Republican Party who I would feel at least would be not awful, I suppose. And those those would be kind of my, that would be my real life example. So if today, right now, I would say, you know, Democrat AOC running against newly turned Republican Joe Manchin. Yeah, I, I probably sit that one out, I guess, would be my, the, the way I would look at it. So what, what do you think? They say if you don't vote, you can't complain, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, I can still complain. Actually, right? actually, you still can. Yeah, you exactly. You really check. Um, so I don't know. I'm first of all, I always it's it's always kind of curious to me. We get these the what would it what would it take questions, um, and I'm I'm so always a little perplexed. And I guess my um my answer tends to be uh, Potter Stewart's Stewart's answer about uh, obscenity is well, I know it when I see it. Um. So I, it, it's it's hard to, to to tell exactly to say what what would it take, um, but could I could I and also it's it's also a little, a little weird as far as I I don't like to um, I go out of my way not to endorse candidates on the show because one it's not my job um, two who cares um, <laughs> what I think um, so yeah my my sense is. Uh, uh, could I vote for a third party? I probably wouldn't. Um, although I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I've said this a number of times. I voted for John Kasich in, in 2016 um, and see how that turned out. Um, but uh, I would tend not to vote for a third party just be because of, I think it's in most cases just not productive. Um, um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of a never say never. Uh, could I vote for a Democrat? Uh, uh, sure. Um, I voted for Democrats in the past and, and, you know, I, I will, I'm sure. Um, it depends on the person, depends on the, the person they're running against, depends on the platform, depends on the, the time. So I'm, you know, I, I guess that's, that's the way I, I look at that is, um, you know, I suppose I have, I have more of a, a party affinity rather than a party loyalty. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think what a lot of listeners who've raised this question before, what think are thinking maybe more in terms of, obviously in terms of Donald Trump, right. And, and also sort of contrasting, uh, you with, with Trey, right. Cause Trey has come out and said, you know, listen, I, I can't, I didn't vote for Donald Trump in 2020. I just can't bring myself to vote for him. So, you know, that, doesn't necessarily mean Trey's Trey's a Democrat, but he's basically would at least, you know, said, well, I'm just going to sit sit this one out. I cannot in good conscience cast a vote for Donald Trump, even if it means Joe Biden, who I'm not a fan of. So that's I mean, that's Trey's line. Right. And and I know my prediction and you don't have to answer this. Right. But my prediction is that when it's just you in that voting booth in November of 2024, because you're still a vote in person person. Um, I think, I am, yeah, that's the way you ought to do it. I, I know you believe that and that's fine. But I think when you are in that booth and you see Donald Trump R, who's he's, cause he's going to be the nominee versus Joe Biden D in the end, you're going to say, yeah, put that whatever mark next to Donald Trump R. And I think that's, you know, and again, that's, that's kind of how I think it's going to play out, but, uh, I, I will not ask you to, to, to tell us that yeah, because we'll that is yeah. between you and yeah, and there's still a ways to go before then, but that's, that's kind of my prediction. So, all right. All right. Well, let's move on to something else here. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Uh, something a little more recent, uh, in a recent episode, uh, all of the hosts agreed, and this is, uh, you and me and, and, uh, Ryan as well, I believe on this one, that Gene Carroll's case was weak and that she'd be unlikely to win. Given that the unanimous jury only deliberated for three hours, awarded over $5 million in damages, and included at least one known member who had a media diet of far-right talk radio, so the jury wasn't a bunch of leftists, 
where was the disconnect between the analysis on this show and the actual outcome? Also, what, if any, impact will this verdict have on the 2024 race? So why don't you start us off with this one, Jay? So I would say the 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 the, the difference, and this is sort of the caveat that I led with um, when we talked about it, and the caveat I lead with in any jury case is uh, we don't see everything the jury sees, uh, and we see things that the jury doesn't see. Uh, we also don't have the the time and focus that we're we're sitting hearing a case, um, you know, six, eight hours a day uh, for for or so at a time um so yeah that's my sense is when i when i read some of the stuff uh that came out uh the trump deposition um he said a lot of things that were very truly unhelpful <laughs> to his case <laughs> There's a no, shock, uh, yeah. <laughs> um you know and, and and so i you know reading that i i look back and say yeah if, if a jury received that and also given the way it played out where she testified live he didn't um uh and and it's it's one of those those situations where unlike a criminal trial right um you can draw presumptions by people's refusal to up and testify um although i mean you testified to my deposition still but um uh yeah i i can i can see how the jury got there so yeah that's that's my yeah my thing and that's that's why again i'm i'm hesitant to when we're talking about it's one thing to talk about court of appeals cases or supreme right, court right, cases sure. yeah where the briefs are all there, the law's all there. Um, it's and it's just sort of of looking at where it ought to go uh, based on that, as opposed to a jury trial, um, which can turn on multiple multiple facts. Uh, it can turn on presentation. It can turn on demeanor of the witnesses. All those sorts of things that that we don't really see. So that's why I always have my sort of asterisks when we talk about jury questions. Yeah. And that's, I, I wanted you to start with that one. I forgot to mention it's Urgicles who asked that from a uh, discord group, but uh, I wanted you to start with that one. Cause I thought that's what your answer would be. Cause that's what my answer would have been, but I think you put it better than I could have. And so I don't really have anything to add to that. Now the, the last part of his question though was, what, if any, impact will this verdict have on 2024? And I feel like... Oh, none. Yeah, that's kind of... I, I feel like we, <laughs> we, we did actually get to that uh, when we talked about it a few weeks ago, saying that this is basically baked into the whole thing. And so, yeah, we can't... Maybe, I mean, maybe at the margins, okay, a little bit. And hey, if this is an election decided at the margins, which is certainly possible... Yeah, so I I say it could be small. Yeah, you could say I could say you could you could peel off some some uh you know especially women suburban voters who may have been really on the fence reluctantly maybe they might have reluctantly voted Trump in 2020, um, and now would say no nah, I'm done. But keep in mind I would think there would also be um a whole host of other reasons why those same voters would also say look I'm done with Trump. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um. You know, speaking of speaking of Trump, and we're kind of going a little bit off off. We always are. Yeah, we we do seem to always be going. Uh, but but this relates to something that we won't have a chance to talk about. Uh, and so, but we're here now, right? And so that's uh, we we could talk about whatever the hell we want. Um, yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you about. So like it, get your own show. You know yeah. exactly. So, but uh, I'm sure that I haven't listened to it yet. That Trey and Ken they're going to be talking about the Trump town hall thing uh, on CNN. And there was a point that I wanted to raise about that, at least bring up with you that I thought was interesting. And I don't often say Ben Shapiro raised an interesting point, um, but 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 I will say that here because I hadn't thought about this, but he uh, mentioned this in a tweet saying that, you know, if if you look at this CNN town hall thing from a different perspective, you say, well, CNN build it as a Republican primary town hall sort of thing, which, okay, I think that's kind of ridiculous in the first place. If you're a Republican voter, you're not going to, but, but anyway, say if, if they were really true, if they were really going with that, why didn't they ask questions that Republican primary voters care about? Why did they focus on January 6th, the election stuff, the document scandal? Those are Democrat questions. 
Why didn't they talk about uh, uh, Fauci and COVID? I I wouldn't say Republican primary voters don't care about yeah, those. But, but, but the primary not, things, yeah. he said, you know, why, why didn't they ask about focus on, uh, on the COVID response and Fauci and, and uh, uh, the border wall, legal immigration, crime, yeah. those sort of things. And, you what know, I differentiates thought, you from, from uh, DeSantis. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. I, when, I, when I thought, when I read that, I thought, well, you know, that's, a, that's actually an excellent point. I mean, I think what CNN did was, was bad for a lot of reasons. But just on its own terms, if they were claiming, well, we're doing this to give Republican voters a chance to look at one of their candidates, even on that basic terms, it kind of failed. And so in the end, I feel like it was CNN just trying to make news. And in fact, the the head of CNN said, well, you know, that's our job to make news. And I like did a big face plant. There's like, oh, my God, that's totally not your job uh if you're a real news network right but you know there you go so anyway anyway i just thought they they knew they knew that yeah you you bring on donald trump and and give him sort of free reign he's going to say all kinds of crazy stuff um and that's good for for ratings and and discussion across the board yeah and i think just generally speaking it's good for the media if donald trump is the nominee because i mean my god he's (laughs) you never know what the guy's gonna say right so and ron DeSantis just he doesn't have it's a pretty big charisma deficit by comparison. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've long said that if you think most of the news media, at least the, the corporate folks running it, care about fully and fairly informing you about the news of the day and making you a better citizen, man, I don't know what you're smoking, but I would like some of it, you know? So anyway, just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> okay. So it sounds like you, you agree with me that they didn't exactly ask the best questions, certainly. No, and, and to, to to be honest, I didn't watch it. I I read everything, you know, secondhand the day or so after. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of what I, I guess it's one of those things of of like why why is anyone surprised by this? This is sort of everything happened that is exactly what you would expect to have happened, right? Um, this is what uh, CNN and, and wanted, right? They wanted a. It. They wanted a yeah. spectacle with a big Trump audience and they wanted yeah. a whole bunch of their listeners or their viewers to hate watch it. Right. And feel virtuous yeah. and yeah. maybe get some Democrats in for I mean, some Republicans in who just were curious to see it. And, hey, that gooses the numbers as well. So, yeah, it was all about creating a spectacle. And uh, yeah, which is yet another reason why I get so almost none of my news from broadcast news, because it's just such a cesspool of garbage as opposed to us which you know we're totally right. not no, not at all we're we're, not, we're occasionally slightly fetid but we're certainly not a cesspool yeah. yeah exactly all right moving on critics agree yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not a cesspool yeah all right so interesting question here from jk dawson again from discord who asks why are political campaigns so different than other forms of sales and marketing the campaign wants to convince you to buy, vote for their candidate, just like Toyota wants you to buy their cars. And it's really unusual in commercial advertising to criticize the competing product. Political advertising is full of criticisms of the other candidate. Why is that? Politicians routinely say democracy and the fate of the nation is at stake in every election. Toyota doesn't say you will die in a fiery crash if you buy a Ford. Is it because the car lie would be more obvious because elections are usually a choice between two alternatives or something else? Um, I thought that was a really interesting question. And Jay, uh, what's your what's your initial take on that? So this is actually uh, something that I, I I've given a fair amount of thought to um, because in my previous life, I'd worked on a lot of elections, a lot of campaigns and, and putting together. Uh, you know, campaign mailers and stuff and, and even helping in some of the drafting commercials and, and so forth. Um, and and there was this big part of me that always longed to do something different, right? That wasn't cookie cutter, that was, um, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, creative and um, uh, my my inner um, uh, the guy from Mad Men. Um, um, you mean like a what would happen if you ran like say a, a totally positive message oriented thing and didn't talk down and appeal to the better the better angels of people's nature sort of thing? Well, yes and no. Some some of that, and then some other other just sort of you know, uh, yeah, clever approaches, and as opposed to just the, the cookie cutter, 
here I am with the flag, uh, kissing babies, shaking hands with firefighters. You know what I mean? That sort of thing. And and the the the, the idea or the the answer I came up with and thinking through why aren't don't people do better, more creative um, things is uh, one, it's different from other products in that you have a very limited time to sell your product. Hmm, okay. Um, yeah. Good point. It's, second, it's also a product that no one wants, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, it's a product that you're bringing. You're not, you're not necessarily for the most part. I mean, think about this and, and, and maybe it's different in, big ticket presidential or, or, or senatorial campaigns. Um, but in, in, you know, the state representative world, um, <laughs> you got to have one. Um, uh, and it's, it's a question of, well, who's, you know, who, who do you hate? Who do you hate less? Um, and, and whose name will you remember when you show up at the polls? Um, and also keep in mind, a lot of times, those uh, type campaigns are are geared towards your lowest information voter, right? Um, and that that all you're trying to get out is, hey, here's this guy's name. Here's the, you know that name again is Mr. Plow um, type thing, right? Um, uh, remember this this guy? He's he's for America. Um, he's against bad things. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's part of it, right? You have this very narrow time time span in which to put together uh, an ad campaign. Often you sort of have to have it sort of ready to go even before you're in it. Um, uh, so it's not like you can do a long-term, hey, this is our, our, our promotion we're going to run for the next year. Um, and, and, you know, so, so I think those are some of the reasons. And also there's, there's sort of a risk aversion to it of, of, of look, um, if you're in a competitive race, you're probably not going to do anything that is is risky. If you were in a, a race that you're sure to win, uh, you're not going to do anything risky or new or different. Um, if you're some crazy dark horse guy, well, maybe you do, right? Just on the the idea of look, if I do something crazy and different, um, uh, you know, I get some I get some uh, earned media out of it yeah, that I wouldn't yeah. otherwise. Um, but for the most part, you know, you're just here, here's the thing. I mean, the, neither party wants to make that investment um, on 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 something like you know being being creative um, or different. Um, you need like a also, crazy so billionaire other, kind of to. I mean, if Mike Bloomberg just yeah. had like some kind of a psychotic break, he could do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, not even that so, there'll be plenty of people. There'll be plenty of people telling him, "No, Mike, that's not how you do it. Don't do it like that." Um, so my last piece of it is, and this goes a little bit to the substantive policy thing, um, has to do with our campaign finance laws uh, in that it's in many cases easier when you're talking about outside groups, independent expenditures, to run the negative ad than it is to run the positive ad. Right. Good if point. you are a yeah. Yeah, independent you know, <laughs> group, you, you can't say, go out and vote for rep representative so-and-so. Um, but you can say, um, you know, his opponent has a terrible record on the environment and women's rights and gun rights and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, through the, you know, a five, 529, um, 529, 527. Um, one, one's, one's a college savings account. The other is to bash your political yeah. opponents. And I always get them. <laughs> now I'm getting confused too now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Important difference, but yeah. Yeah. My kids, my kids have these massive political uh, uh, spending <laughs> accounts. That's the result that we destroy our political opponents with. But um, no, that so that's that's part of it is to the extent that there's negative ads, there's there's almost there's more money out there to do negative ads um, uh, than there is, you know, to do positive vote for me. You know, I, I think those are all really good points. And one, one other thing that occurred to me is and you, might, I, you either mentioned this or alluded to it, is that political campaigns are different, too, in that they are typically a binary choice. Right. It's not. A, yeah, and yeah. and and. When you think about actually some ad mark, some some consumer markets that are like that, you may see more, at least somewhat attack ads. I remember like the Microsoft Apple Coke and sort Pepsi. of thing. The, yeah, Coke the, and Pepsi. The, the, the vendor going, the, the Pepsi truck driver getting to the Coke or vice versa. So you can see yeah. some of that, but those are, it seems to me, those are markets that are much more like that. Also, 
it, it seems to me that maybe a better analogy with political campaigns and choosing candidates isn't so much buying a consumer good, but sports fandom. And when you think about sports fandom, actually rivalries are encouraged and, and, and pushed in a way to kind of get you more firmly into your camp. Because I feel like the, the connection we have with a party or a candidate is much more like that connection we'll have with our sports team, right, than that we'll have with our, with our car or our phone or something like that. And so because of that type of bond, I think that sort of advertising a certain type of advertising works more than it would in the consumer market. So that's kind of my take on that. Well, and there's also the, the sense of, um, I mean, this is, this has been a change. Maybe it's been the last 20, 30 years. Right. And we talk about this all the time is campaigning to bring out your base versus campaigning to win over undecideds. And, and every campaign is going to vary on, on what matters more. Um, but in a lot of races, particularly congressional races, it's going to be about bringing out the base um, rather than convincing someone who's undecided. Right. And so you want the red meat kind of stuff for that. Yeah, that's a good point. Definitely. All right. We have time for one more question, and it is from Ryan from our Facebook page who asks, if Trump wins, how fast does Russia steamroll Ukraine? Now, to which another folk, folk person on our Facebook page, J.P. Jefferson, replied, or alternate possibility, peace breaks out immediately in the same way the hostages were released in Tehran minutes after Reagan was inaugurated. So I thought that was a, a pretty interesting question and response uh, on our we're on our Facebook page there. So Jay, what do you think? Obviously, the premise from Ryan is that Russia does steamroll Ukraine if Trump wins. It's just a matter of time. So uh, why don't you start us off with this one? Well, I guess the first premise is that the Russia-Ukraine conflict is still going on um, by January of 2025. Good point. That's like 20 and, months from now or so. Yeah, and that yeah. would be almost double the time or twice the amount of time the war's been going on. Because I think it's been like around 15 About months. A year, so, a yeah, over a year, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, um, so, yeah, that's the first premise that I, I, I don't necessarily buy into. Um, uh, secondly, I think does does something change overnight? I doubt it. Um, just because these things are are difficult to turn around um, quickly, and it's it's different from say uh, the hostages being released, which was a an Iranian unilateral decision. Um, it's this this is something that's much more complicated, uh, and a whole lot. You know, let's put it this way: there was there was essentially one person. Uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, who could make that decision. Yeah, and here the um, Ukrainians have kind of a say in this more than exactly. more than yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, so it, it's I don't see that that happening right away. You also have allies. You have other you know uh, uh, stuff that uh, you know material and so forth uh, that's been committed. And uh, folks are going to argue we need to have a return on that. That we shouldn't just throw this out. Um, the other premise is that. And the first, the first response, first question is that the Trump is the the Putin toady that he was claimed to be, which I've I've never really seen. I think he says a lot of stuff that, um, you know, is meant to flatter Putin was meant was meant to flatter Putin and always a strong leader and all that kind of. Stuff. Um, look, I think the the fact that that Putin didn't invade Ukraine during the Trump presidency. Uh, is is a little telling, right? If if Trump was the Putin stooge who would do nothing, then why not walk in there when you knew um, the U.S. would not support the Ukrainians or, or so forth? But um, well, counter to that. Yeah, before, my, before you my, move my on, sense, my sense is before you move on on that counter to that, I would say there's that whole madman theory is that if you're if you're Putin, you say, God, I don't know what this guy's going to do. He could he could embrace me. He could nuke me. I you know, and that's yeah. You know, right. so. No, that's that's sort of yeah, where I am. That yeah. Yeah, because Trump's nuts. He's he's unpredictable. Yeah, you know, I, um, my my take on that, Jay, is and this I think gets to the concern, not just on the left but on the right, is that in Trump and also to DeSantis, he's made remarks uh, to this uh, about this as well. This kind of uh, new isolationism on the right, if you will, and that that uh, the argument being that well. Putin is pulling for a Trump or a DeSantis win because he knows that if nothing else, 
that will probably make that will probably lead to a decrease in U.S. support for Ukraine for various reasons. And so even if Russia doesn't steamroll Ukraine, it will make it easier for Russia to push whatever position it's in. Uh, and maybe that's just, you know, maintain and consolidate a, a hold over those eastern portions and get some sort of a ceasefire because Trump has, you know, Trump has said a number of times that, hey, I could solve this in a day, whatever. And OK, that's that's typical Trump bluster. But it seems you could see a situation where he would be interested in pushing Ukraine to accept some sort of negotiated peace that is more favorable to Russia than would be the case under, say, a, a Biden administration or under a more conventional old school Republican administration, someone who's not a Trump or a DeSantis. I, no, I think that's I think that's a fair. Yeah, that's a fair guess. Um, but it's also, you know, Trump being Trump, it's sort of that same thing. I, I don't know. He could also say, um, you know. <laughs> All right, it's it's on. We're sending troops. We're going to nuke it, right? But um, but, in, but in a sense, I don't think so because, and here's why: I think Donald Trump loves to play the tough guy, but in the end, I think Donald Trump is 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 at his core, he is an immense coward, and so I don't think that he really steps up in that way because I think he's psychologically, I don't think he has. That sort of that sort of courage, uh, you know, that's that, that he seems to me to be well, kind of a standard. I, I think issue he would bully. rather. I, I think he would rather see himself as the master strategist and deal maker. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, so he sees yeah. himself, and he would say, "Listen, I brought peace to this troubled, um, this troubled region um, because I'm so so good at making deals." Yeah, yeah, I can, um, I can see. So I, I say maybe it's less a thing of of, of cowardice and more a a thing of uh, this is how he sees himself is. Um, he's, he's not, he's not one to stand on principle. Um, <laughs> you think, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's sort of yeah. generally, yeah. um, that's fair. So yeah, that's no. So I think, I think that's fair. It's, it's, it's if there's Trump and if the conflict is still going on, uh, and Trump is elected, um, obviously, you know, the other thing it's, it's tough to, to say, right. Is, is because the, obviously that's going to be a, an issue in the campaign. And sure, once yeah. we get to an actual campaign and we're a year or so down the road from where we are now um, and and we'll know more about, you know, what the situation is on the ground and people will be asked, what's your plan for Ukraine? Um, you know, then then we'll know. So and, and that yeah, and, but I, I don't think it would I don't think it would be an immediate uh, pull out all, all uh, support for Ukraine. Um, assuming it's still still going on at that point. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I, I wouldn't at this point, certainly this very early point, press you uh, specifically about your, your decision in 20, uh, in, in 2024, because I know that is a factor that's of deep concern to you as like me, an old cold, cold warrior sort of thing. And so if, if a situation emerges where Trump feels forced to make all kinds of say all kinds of crazy things that sound extraordinarily pro-Russian, anti-Ukraine. Of course, that's going to go into your thinking. And I would hope the thinking of uh, uh, millions of Americans uh, when they're casting their votes. So. All right. Well, Jay, I, I appreciate you taking the time out of your Saturday to do this. And we didn't get to all the questions we wanted to, but I we did we did make a dent in them yeah. at least. So that's We're getting there, that's getting cool. through the old mailbag. Absolutely. And again, remember, folks, that if you haven't yet uh, uh, leveled up your support tier for for the show and you're interested in doing that and being part of selecting a a story segment and also taking part in in real time, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash politics guys. Really easy to do. And uh, if you decide, you know, you you do that and you're like, oh, well, this, this stunk. Well, you can always just revert right back and we will even refund your money. Maybe not with a smile. No, we'll do it with a smile. What the hell? (laughs) You know, but, uh, but yeah, we hope you'll check that out. And just generally, we really do appreciate your support in all the ways that you support us, whether that's financially or whether that's through just sending, uh, you know, sharing the show and talking about it on social media, whatever you do, we really do appreciate it. And if you want to get in touch with us for whatever reason, supporters, you can do that, of course, on our Discord. Uh, you can also send us an old-fashioned 
mail at email. Sorry, guys, we do snail mail. But anyway, uh, hellfashioned email at mailatpoliticsguys.com. And also, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And as always, you will find links to all of that in the show notes. And finally, as always, a very special thanks to our outstanding executive producers, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, Don Oglesby, and Ivan English. We'll be back with a new show for you next week. We hope you join us. So, so Mike, I know you just closed the show and, and did it uh, gracefully, as always. Um, but as we're sitting here, so I've got my phone and I pull up and I, I get this headline. I just, I just want to throw this out there to our listeners. Um, it is from the CNN politics uh, headline. Uh, and and the, the headline is how Congress lost control of the Supreme Court. Um, and I just want to throw that out there and like discuss amongst yourselves uh, <laughs> how, how many re- how many ways that that headline is, is completely wrong and the assumptions buried in it. But um, never mind. That's that's just my little shot at uh, the mainstream media. And, and um, uh, so, yeah, that's that some of the you headlines. Could, yeah. No, some of the headlines are just talk about clickbaity ridiculousness. I would put that. Yeah, definitely right up there. I pulled up the I just pulled up the article myself now, and it looks like it's about the ooh, shadow docket. But. Shadow docket, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's how they lost. Oh God! Um, it was things were much better when Congress controlled the Supreme Court, <laughs> uh, as the as the Constitution, uh, you know, would happen. Ah, so. co-equal branch to hell with that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, thanks for bringing. It. So this is kind of like a little. If you stuck around past the credits, this is like this is like yeah, the little like at the end of the Marvel movie. There the you go, the exactly. Post credit scene, exactly. All right, all right. Well, thanks again, everyone. Take care.